With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Today on Off Tackle Empire, find out who gives a shit about Maryland. Update, it's nobody. So let's talk about it. Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire, where we're going to talk about the Big Ten and also an ACC outcast. Uh, that's right. We are talking about one of the founding members of the Atlantic Coast Conference. Uh, come to the land of Great Lakes and uh, and Ranch and Ope and squeezing past you. So we made it through. I'm counting the weeks here. Indiana, Northwestern, Nebraska. Um, do, 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 three, four. If we, depending on whether we count Illinois, because obviously you were going to be here no matter what. But we, we had a backup. It. Yeah, we made it through five weeks getting contributors in here to actually talk about their own teams, and we come to Maryland, and folks, we couldn't do it. Uh, that's now bear in mind for every other Big Ten team. I had people like we we had people outside of the off tackle Empire masthead. Uh, if we needed in them, mind, although, in case we needed them, although we did, um, we have yeah. not resorted to that just yet, but we were fully prepared to. Uh, I'm Steve Bronick, a Thumpasaurus. I'm an Illinois contributor at Off Tackle Empire. I'm joined by Andrew Kraszewski, as always, my intrepid co-host, um, uh, Michigan State guy who continues to be uh, uh, stunned by Mel Tucker. Um, but what we're more stunned by is that uh, Maryland seems to really not be particularly jazzed about what you could argue is their best season since the uh, opening of the 2010s. I don't think there's any argument. It's their best season since the year, since Freedom's last year by a mile, maybe even better than that last season, depending on how you look at it. Well, um, because yeah, I mean... they didn't fire the they, they didn't fire the guy who then immediately won conference coach of the year for the result for which he was fired. Right. It's true. They, ha- they haven't fired Mike Watsley yet. It's true. The season is a ways away and you never do know in Maryland. Um, yeah. As, as you mentioned, my own attention is just deep into recruiting um, as a Michigan state fan. I have always been very involved in recruiting. I've always felt that recruiting is obviously the most important thing. And the only indication where they're going to be any good um, there's no nuance, no nothing. It's just, do you have the stars or do you not? I have always felt that. And so it's just a really good time as a Michigan State fan to have that mindset. Anyway, uh, I'm also, as it turns out, our foremost Maryland expert. Um, now, as I understand it, the Maryland accent, in particular the Baltimore accent, is really not all that far away from the Pittsburgh, especially as it comes to pronouncing certain vowels. That being said, I don't think we're going to venture into that too much because I frankly got an overload on that last weekend. So oh, we'll my wife is still up. very yinzing right now. Has she, has she not, has it not worn off yet? It's no, so, it, it is not. The, the, the yinzing has will definitely off. like fill the reservoirs all the way back up. A reservoir. Well, but I understand that, that we're in, that we're in Warsh territory if we're going to Maryland, right? I think so. And I think it's also mostly the long O's that you get like so that kind of thing, which again, so we get a little bit of we get some Warshire, we get a little bit of Philadelphia, yeah, because in Philadelphia is where you go to the Wawa. Yeah, and I think it's not dissimilar from that. Although I think if you said that to people from either of those cities, they would try to fight you. So let's talk Maryland football then. Where <clears throat> again, on the one hand, you have Maryland making their first bowl game since 2016. And winning their first bowl game since 2010, which was when Freegen was last there, which both feels like it was too long ago and also like not long enough. Like it feels like several geologic eras have passed since Freegen was there. But that'll happen when you move conferences and cycle through a half dozen coaches. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but cycle through a few coaches in dramatic fashion. 
<clears throat> over the course of a decade. So there's, again, a, a season that by this program's recent terrible standards has been a success. I mean, man, I, I've generally thought of Maryland in the vein of like a mediocre program. Like, oh, yeah, they're probably in a bowl like every other year or something. No, man. You look at the results from the 2010s, there are a lot of two and three and four win seasons in there. Uh, this was by far the most successful year in quite a while. On the other hand, though, they were non-competitive in most of their games against good opponents, and it does not feel like there's as much unexplored ceiling now as there was early in Loxley's tenure. We joked for the most part, I mean, every time they have some kind of game management gap or they lose a close game or something. We've joked for years that Loxley's response is just to go and recruit more. And at first that made sense. But the thing there is the last couple of classes, that gusher of talent that he had opened up when he first came to College Park has tailed off considerably. They still have a decent amount of talent on the roster, but they're not bringing it in at the clip they were before. And so it's like, is there space for this thing to keep going upward or have they kind of gotten to where they're going to settle? I mean, I'm now just looking at, at the, uh, Winsipedia graph for Maryland and Mm -hmm. God, it's, it's, it's kind of bizarre because I thought of them as kind of being, you know, a historically decent program that's been kind of downtrodden, but, yeah, unremarkable. Um, I mean, as like one national championship since World War II, so about on par with a Michigan. Um, but you, do, yeah, you generally think of them as a, a team that's just kind of there, like an NC State or a Purdue or something. Um, but over- actually, it doesn't really look that different uh, from. Oh my God, it does not look that different from Illinois. Um, there's a little more, there's, there's more consistency mostly because of the, uh, the Jerry Claiborne to Bobby Ross era where they were good throughout most of the seventies and half yeah. of the eighties. Uh, the, the, the valleys aren't as, as deep, the, you know, the peaks are a little longer, but I mean, tell me that something like 2000, you know, like, like eight and five to two and 10 to nine and four to two and 10. Tell me that would be out of place on the Illinois graph. Exactly. It's so maddeningly inconsistent has been the thing. Um, the first couple of years, again, Loxley coming in wasn't really in all that much better of a position in terms of getting his program rolling than were coaches that actually started right when the pandemic happened. So it was disruptive for everybody, but still should have been in a little bit better position. And if, if, if anything, at least this past season gives you some confidence that, all right, they're not definitely getting passed by Indiana and Rutgers and the jockeying for the basement of the Big Ten East. But it's difficult to see given, like, again, even with decent off, on-field results last year, is the recruiting really still in a place where you can expect them to close the gap with Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, and now Michigan State, which... I don't want to draw too much conclusions from last year, but still feels like Tucker has MSU back in that top echelon of division. So are you, is Maryland's ceiling now just fighting for fifth place? Those are fair enough. Big picture questions before we get to, I mean, unless we spend too much time on that kind of navel gazing, let's take a look at how last season went for them. Well, because yeah, there were, there were some questions about the ceiling on this team because you had, you know, four and zero start with that had wins over West Virginia, and you know a win over over Illinois. That while you know no win over Illinois is ever a particularly great thing, you certainly. I mean, you were openly asking questions about you know just how many awards could uh, Talia Tagovailoa win. Um, and with that, you know, with, with what looked like a, a solid defense and definitely a reliable passing game, the question was, where is the ceiling, you know? And then the Iowa game happened, and that was one of those games where the goalposts moved all the way down the field over the course of a game. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of those things where you go from asking about ceiling to asking about floors, and is there a floor for this team? 
I do look, I would say that that win against Illinois held its value pretty well. Um, the West Virginia game was a nice non-conference win, but then as you say, the calendar turns to October and I, I swear like these last couple of years, September Maryland has been almost as much of a thing as September Northwestern was before last year. They've gotten off to a couple of really good starts. I mean, they've had games where they're bombing teams away. They've blown out Syracuse a couple times. And there's also games in there where like they've played Howard a couple times. So of course they're putting up 60 burgers on FCS teams. But then it's just been the thing where the calendar turns to October and they fall to pieces. It, like, they had this big game like against the Penn State. Of the, the inverse of the September Northwestern. Like either last year or a few years ago, they had this big game against Penn State where they got waxed. I mean, this one, and yeah, the reason I remember this one being one where the wheels came off all of a sudden is because they entered the second quarter of the Iowa game up 7-3, to three, and then they allowed 31 straight points before halftime. Yeah, it, well, it was, again, it was another thing much like it was in the Iowa-Indiana game where it's – I swear, if I had any Photoshop chops whatsoever, I would just put the Hypnotoad's head over Phil, over a picture of Phil Parker because once in a while he just has the opposing quarterbacks like staring into a spinning hypnosis wheel, flinging interceptions straight into the waiting arms of linebackers and safeties, running the same concepts that he has for 30 years. I don't understand how they do it, but it happens. It happens at least a couple times a year. To his credit, Tungo Vailoi did a good job to recover from that and still have a pretty good season. Uh, if you, Especially if you take the Iowa game results out of Tungo Vailoi's stat lines, there's a decent case there for like a second or third all-conference nod. Uh, but still, it, you don't get to take that game out because that result happened. And when the calendar turned to October and Maryland had the stretch of Iowa, Ohio State, Minnesota, they lost those games by a combined 151 to 47. And, so, and this thing against Iowa is, again, a lot like that game against Penn State where every time they get expectations up early in the season, it's not just that they lose. It's that they do it in spectacular fashion. Because yeah, they don't belong. It's, yeah, it's they lose and they don't belong on the field with the big opponent that, like, the big everybody's looking at us game and they just fill their pants all the way to the top. Because wrapping up that first quarter, you're a Maryland fan, you're thinking, wow, we could we – could, you know, we could hold Staten, you know, we could win this thing maybe even by a couple of touchdowns. And then, you know, by three seconds into the second quarter, you're thinking, okay, well, we can still win this thing. And then one <laughs> minute later, you're thinking, okay, well, maybe we can't like win this thing, but we'll certainly make it close. And then a few minutes later, you're thinking, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe like seven wins around the table. And by halftime, <laughs> right, you're like, thinking, oh, like, okay, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> We could win another game, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Right. You go from thinking, no, we're going to be five and <gasps> in a pretty good shape. Maybe we can challenge Ohio State to thinking, well, we can probably still make a bowl game. Um, and the rest of the season, again, after you go to October, uh, only two wins the rest of the way in the regular season. And look, they did what they had to do to grab the crabs that were trying to escape the bucket and then climb out themselves by beating Indiana and Rutgers. Um Certainly took advantage of a matchup of a matchup in the bowl game. Virginia Tech had fired Justin Fuente. Their top two quarterbacks had both transferred out. Uh, I think they had a number of other sitouts as well, and so Maryland ran them over. And that's what you like. That's what you hope that you'll be able to do uh, going into year four, really, under your coaches. That you have your roster and culture assembled well enough that if your opponent is checked out and they're roughly in the same talent level as you that you're going to be able to blow them away. And they did. Um, so again, relative to the miserable decade they just endured, it's really hard to be too impatient with where the program settled last season, but there are big picture questions here, right? Because all these games that, the, I mean, just run through some of these scores, Iowa lost 51, 14, Ohio state lost 66, 17, Minnesota lost 34, 16. And again, for Minnesota, that is a blowout. Penn State lost by 17. Michigan State lost by 19. Michigan lost by 41. Like, they're not competitive against the teams they have to be competitive against if they're ever going to do more than what they just did this year. If something doesn't change radically, this season that we just saw is the ceiling. And that was with a three-point win over Illinois and a six-point win over West Virginia. Uh, and a three-point three win. win over Indiana. Yeah, like, all <laughs> there's, there's really only... There's, there's no close loss. There's a few close wins. 
this team was a couple of possessions away from being a three or four win team. Yeah, they 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 <clears throat> pulled a few out um, that were. I mean, uh, granted, it, it it would have kind of been. Um, you could point to those as games that they should have won anyway, but still they were a few bounces away from, from being a lot earlier in this calendar. And I, I just, again, I just can't help but come back to, I mean, maybe this is the reason that we just can't get anybody to show up for, for this podcast. It's just that every time they do kind of fool you into setting some expectations, they rip it away so yeah. violently that like, that that second quarter against Iowa just just had to have been the longest, you know, the the, the longest fifteen minutes of game time, but also the shortest because yeah, it just the longest short period of time that you've ever experienced in a game. What, and, what it reminded me of, like, because because they, they they turned the ball over seven times in this game. It's yeah. just like like I, I, this can't just keep continuing, can it? it? Like, okay, I don't know if I've ever brought this up, but we went axe throwing at my bachelor party. And, and, <laughs> you know, I've been around you enough to know, well, we played a whole bunch of sports together. We're like, yeah. you know, yeah. of all the people in the crew, I would not have expected this from you, but the whole time we were there, you never stuck a single ax to the target. No, and I, I just kept watching yeah. and thinking like, okay, but I can't really see what he's like, like this can't just keep happening. Right. I it's just like, thing, at I don't some know point, I have not tried. At some point, it's going to stick again. one, right? Like, I've not tried X throwing again. I'm singularly bad at it. I don't really know why. I know. And I it's guess like, at least well, you yeah, know what happened. The guys who are working there are like, all right, here, let me give you some points. You just you do it, do it like that. And it's like, <laughs> the instruction is like, you just kind of throw the X. Like, what do you, how is this hard? And I'm like, dude, it's not working. I don't have to tell you. Uh, but yeah, it, it's stuff like that happens, and, and yeah. that's exactly how uh, Tyler Tagovailoa had to feel in that game. It's just like I just keep throwing it, and this just keeps not, and it just keeps sticking in the wrong places. I, like I said, man, hypnotoad. I don't, and again, it's not like he's the only one that this has happened to against Iowa. Uh, but to me, that's a function of offensive coaching at some point. If you let the quarterback keep making these same mistakes, like in the course of a game, like how do you not sort this kind of thing out? That's why the guy's in a booth making a million dollars to <laughs> to call down the co- you know the the quarterback picks up the landline telephone on the sidelines for some reason and is talking to the guy in the booth who's like hey maybe don't you know this is the read that you need to fix anyway um, big picture I think the problems in the offense really are that they don't have a ton of balance um, they've had talented running backs in the past but their run game never feels especially threatening there's always a non-conference game or two where they rack up some huge numbers. Uh, and Tan Fleet Davis was definitely their best running back. So losing him is a problem, but towards the end of the year, I don't even remember if it was through injury or just ineffectiveness, but they had turned to a former walk-on Charlotte Fatah Matau. They have him back. They have a younger guy in Colby McDonald. So they have a couple guys who are reasonably talented. Penny Boone transferred out. Um, he was kind of a between the tackles guy who I know they were looking forward to seeing but it's and you they've had again like Todd Johnson's been in the NFL for a few years Anthony McFarlane hasn't played but he was a draft pick of the Steelers they've had talented running backs it's just that there's something about I don't know if it's the design or if it's just that they have a line that isn't effective at run blocking well I mean look I, I get that last year your team did this but it is not typical for you to be able to just plug a running back in there and then just throw him in behind a really ineffective offensive line and have him just win games by himself. And that's oh, yeah, the thing. Man. Maryland has recruited what he should be reasonably well at the offensive line position, at offensive line positions, and it just has not translated into consistent offensive line play. No, and the pass has also been kind of hit or miss. And in a lot of cases, it you know we've wondered, man, how does Maryland have such terrible luck in keeping their quarterbacks healthy? I mean, I was saying the fact that Tungo Vailoa made it through all of last season. It's still like, well, the reason they they can't keep their quarterbacks healthy is one, they used to use a lot of running quarterbacks, and now they can't keep their quarterbacks healthy because they don't pass pro as well. Um, that's really about all there is to it. Yes, what's with all this Maryland injury luck? Q, here comes the boom. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So I, and all that being said, you know, I spent the first, first month of the season 
singing Chango Violoa's praises a little bit because I really did like the way that he played going into the season. I don't think it was even necessarily a sure thing that he was the starter. Was it, it, was it this past season or the year before that Lance Lejean transferred out early when it became clear he had lost the job? I believe it was this year. Yeah, so he's the guy. They know that he's the guy. And if they get better play from the offensive line, there are weapons here. There are always weapons at Maryland. They have this string of what turn out to be number one NFL wide receivers. They're going to miss Chagosia McConquo, their tight end. He really came on good down the stretch for them last year. He had a huge game against Michigan State, but I mean, every tight end that we played did, frankly. Um, they're going to miss him. Corey Deitches is the only other tight end on the roster, so they're going to have to get a big year from him. But out wide, this group could be and they're not going to be Ohio State good, but they're going to be right there. Basically, I think jockeying with Michigan for the deepest rooms in the conference. Um, they'll get Dante Demas back from injury. He was great before he went down. He was on track to maybe challenge for the receiver there. It would have been difficult to do. Don't get me wrong. But he was on track for those kinds of numbers. They bring in Jacob Copeland from Florida. He's a big time former blue chip player. I mean, even in a dysfunctional Florida offense was still very productive and they still have Rakeem Jarrett, a former Uber recruit who is draft eligible after this year and looked pretty good as the guy once Demas went down. So, man, I'm telling you, like, if they run the ball even a little bit, there are pieces here to make this work. They have continuity now with Dan Enos back for a second season as OC, which for him is very, uh, you know, unusual to stay in the same place two years in a row. <laughs> but they should have decent continuity. If they get better play on the offensive line and run the ball even somewhat, this offense should be very good. Well, what <laughs> I wonder about is what Rakeem Jarrett's draft ceiling is going to be if Maryland has some consistent winning under him because that seems to not really be where you get those great Maryland receivers. You well, usually have to suffer through a few really bad seasons. Yeah, I mean, DJ Moore was pretty good right away for the Panthers. It's just like the Panthers have kind of been lost because he came in, I think, at the very tail end of Cam Newton. So what, I, what I'm uh, saying is, is they have to play for some shitty Maryland teams. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, what was the most important thing Stefan Diggs ever did in college? Can you name a game that he made a big play? Like he, he had big numbers, but it was like, well, these teams aren't winning any games. Who cares? It's really just a showcase opportunity for these players. I think there's a little bit more on the table for guys like Jarrett this year. And Demas is going to be an NFL guy as well, I'm pretty sure. Well, shit, actually, Stefan Diggs took Maryland to back-to-back -to -back bowl games under Rangoon, Randy Edsel. True. <laughs> God, man, back-to-back -back seven and six seasons, and then you fire the coach. And, and you're not Illinois? You know, again, there's something to be said for flying too close to the sun. And this isn't quite the Glenn Mason paradox because that's two, seven, and six years. My recollection is that there was a lot of chatter. He had kind of lost people off the field, like in the administration. Well, yeah, that's that's the whole that's the whole deal. I mean, because it was very similar to Illinois in that the recruiting had kind of the movement. If you remember the movement I with Randy Edsel, the I movement do. had kind of uh stopped stop moving I, if you will <laughs> uh, i remember at the time we had in our internal chat every time somebody talked about the movement it was just like this this picture of like point of view you're on a toilet and your maryland flag boxers are down around your ankles yes yes i do i do recall that being devoid quite a bit the movement <sighs> what heady days those were <laughs> Who would have known where Maryland would, would end up traveling over the next few years? Um, all right, so defensive side of the ball, it's a little bit more of a reset, a little bit less continuity, and that's also for a unit where last year basically was mostly bad results. I mean, again, we mentioned a lot of the score lines there. Maybe the most damning thing for the Maryland defense last year was actually giving up 35 points to Indiana in a win because by that time, Indiana was, I think, down to the true freshman and the walk-on. And I don't think Indiana came even close to scoring that many points in another game in the back half of the year. Sort of prompted the increasingly common 
you know, throw air quotes around this mutual parting of ways with defensive coordinator, Brian Stewart. Um, How about this? I don't even remember talking about that game on the Indiana episode of this podcast. I don't even remember talking about scoring 35 points against Maryland and nearly winning. No. That's that's how much of an aberration it was and how much it was really down to Maryland being shitty. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Yeah, and so so they do the, the same for the second time in a year. They come to an agreement with a high-profile member of a revenue sports coaching staff where it's like, maybe it's better if you don't coach here anymore uh, <laughs> instead of outright firing the guy, which I don't know why. Schools feel that is there a thing now where agents have these athletic directors convinced like you got to let my guy down easy or nobody's going to want to take your millions of dollars. I just don't get why these schools feel need to be nice. It's like, no, you screwed up. You're bad at your job. You're fired. Get out of here. Here's your buyout. Um, anyway, mutual parting of ways of Brian Stewart. Then um, they end up internally promoting former linebackers coach, Brian Williams. Interesting choice. Cause the linebackers weren't that good, but They only did that because the most itinerant coach in all of college football, Kevin Steele, took the job for a few days late January, I believe he was hired, and within a week had been hired away by Mario Cristobal to join him at Miami. Um, I initially had this written up as before he even had time to get his office nameplate printed. That actually is not true. I did a little bit of research, and I did find a picture of his office door Kevin Steele, defensive coordinator, I don't remember, it might not have even said University of Maryland, but it was at their athletic building. And it was like, okay, so they did. I, I mean, that's credit to them for being on the ball and getting Well, you quick. don't know that that's not just a nameplate he carries with him. <laughs> it's possible, yes. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I can, it's probably important when you move around as much as he does to get situated quickly and, and then be ready to go again just as quickly. If I you look, if I were the author of the worst coaching decision in the history of college football, <laughs> I would be running from it every single year too. <sighs> I would never stop moving, and, just, and again, and just hope that the hope that the posse doesn't catch up to you. Um, there is only one very low res video of it on YouTube, but on YouTube it remains. Google Kevin Steele UNLV to find out more. <laughs> I cannot pretend that I know the first thing about what Brian Williams is going to do defensively. They have been running a three, four, more or less. Um, They've been recruiting from that kind of system. As always, they have some, especially in the secondary, some NFL caliber players, Tariq Steele and Ja'Korian Bennett are going to be the standouts. But they lose a couple of really good players in the back end too. Jordan Mosley, Nick Cross was a guy that I've really liked. He was a mid-round pick of the Colts. And then where they're, where they're really hurting, the reason that they can't really get themselves sorted on defense is they just can't put a whole front seven together at a time. They have occasionally had really talented players, like remember when Yannick and Gakwe played for them a few years ago. And I remember seeing him, I was like, oh, this guy's pretty good. And then a couple of years later, he was like, said it, he was getting like double digit sacks for the Jaguars. Uh, so they have had talented players, but putting a front seven together, they just haven't done. They've lost... Uh, Serious talent in the linebacker group um, in the transfer portal. Brandon Jennings and Terrence Lewis were the two crown jewels of 2021's excellent recruiting class. They're both gone, but they do have um, Ruben Hippolyte and Ahmad McCullough back there. 
They're adding a transfer linebacker from West Virginia, Vandarius Cohen, which I guess is like the extra stakes they played for in that non-conference game. Like, it, you know, if we win, we get to take one of your dudes. And they've got a couple of decent guys coming back on the D-line, Ami Finau and Mosiah Nasile Kite. They do lose their biggest pass rush threat, Sam Akuenyononu. I think I'm saying that right. Hopefully kind of close. And then probably the biggest kick in the nuts of all these transfers and attritions, um, Damian Robinson, also known as Chop Robinson, excellent name, uh, big-time edge rusher recruit, really only played a reserve role last year, probably would have been a full-time starter with Akuyanonu leaving. Not only transfers, but he goes to Penn State. <laughs> Oof. Just talk about a kick in the nuts, man. Um. So this is a defensive line that has a couple of interior guys who can who are all right, but nothing too, too special. They really need a couple of those last blue chip pieces from 2021 to step up. Um, Taisha Johnson and Tommy Acking Basote, those are both redshirt freshmen who profile as D tackles. They need at least one of those guys to be really good this year, or they're going to have real problems. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you always – Maryland – it's just always a thing where you look at their depth chart and find some good pieces, but you always know that there's going to be some holes out there because that's just always what's happened in the past. I mean, the only question is, right, Brian Williams, of course, being brought in to make all those pieces work together, but uh, with some early tests, um, oh no, with no early tests, you wonder how long it's going to be before Brian Williams is either, I mean, do you think he's going to be under fire? Do you think he's going to be shot at by an RPG? Or do you think that Maryland will be making that up? <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll see if Loxley wants to refer to, it, you know, taking fire from certain press questions and, and wanting to protect. Yeah, man. Yeah, the helicopter that is defensive coordinator is in. Seems like it's going to be okay for at least the first three games, but it may come under fire from Michigan, Michigan State, and then Purdue if we're talking about offenses that can hurt you. Yeah, there are, I mean, there are some ebbs and flows in the schedule, and we'll we'll go ahead and jump to that and go a little bit out of order and then come back to the recruiting stuff. Um, as you mentioned, the, the non-conference there, they opened with Buffalo that – Seems like it's kind of lost momentum since losing Lance Leopold. They'll still have some talented players, but not really the threat they were a few years ago. They take a road trip to Charlotte, which is a weird choice, but you see that a little more often. These non-Power 5 FBS teams demanding um, home games for scheduling arrangements. And then they get a visit from SMU, which loses Sonny Dykes. I believe they lost Shane Bouchelle as well, correct? Um. I don't know. I, it feels like he's been around college football long enough that he must have moved on. Yeah. Uh, in any case, SMU is a bit of a live wire, but probably not going to be one of the five best group of five teams this year. We'll see. I mean, you never know what, what can happen when a coach that kind of reanimates a program of SMU's caliber leaves, especially when it's so made in his image as the air raid was uh, installed at uh, SMU under Sonny Dykes and, yeah, that so can be one of those things where maybe you can pick up on it, but it, you see it happen all the time where just there's such a shift in identity that happens when that coach leaves. Oh, yeah. Think about the difference in Sonny Dykes at Cal and then Cal after Sonny Dykes. <laughs> like they, they basically reversed polarity. Uh, it became a, a very solid defensive team that can't score 20 points at a game. So. Yeah, it, I, basically what I would say is don't necessarily count SMU as an automatic win. It needs to be because, um, yeah, as you mentioned, the schedule, the beat kind of drops on it there when before you're even out of the month of September, you have the road trip to the big house. And then, as you mentioned, consecutive home games, Michigan State and Purdue. Uh, a couple of more, the, the games that you have to win, again, if you're looking for a bowl would be at Indiana and Northwestern there in late October. And then you have a bye before the schedule takes another brutal turn. Um, road trips to Camp Randall and Happy Valley in consecutive weeks. Then they host Ohio State and host Rutgers to end the season. If things go well, I think you're looking at that Rutgers game. Maybe you already have six wins. More likely you're going to be sitting on five and needing that win for a bowl. 
yeah, that's the facts of life in, you know, when you're basically in this situation that Maryland is in, in the East, you need to have a favorable draw against the West, which they kind of don't. I mean, Northwestern is probably going to be about the worst team in the West. You always figure Illinois is going to be down there, but um, Purdue, unless their defense improves dramatically, Purdue will give them fits. Yes, for sure. Uh, and the other thing is Wisconsin, you have to, not only do you get Wisconsin, but you have to go there. Camp Randall is really difficult. If, I mean, especially like the thing about the West draw now is three of the more solid teams, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Iowa are all basically trying to do the same thing. So it doesn't really matter from the perspective of a Maryland, where if your run defense is a huge problem and it is, any of those teams were going to give you kind of the similar problems. It's just a question of, well, which of these defenses do we think we're going to match up best with? You know, the answer is not Iowa after last year. So maybe it's better that you're not seeing the Hawkeyes. Still, you'd rather take at Wisconsin and home against Northwestern than the other way around. True, because you're likely to lose to Wisconsin either way. So you may as well bring a more winnable opponent into your building. We've mentioned the recruiting aspect a couple of times, of course, always comes up with Maryland. We've covered it without every team we've talked about. And so to wrap up the football aspect, then we'll circle back to recruiting. And as we said here, as we've said before, there's always this impression of Mike Loxley as an absolute knockout recruiter who's elevated Maryland's talent profile. Not so fast, my friends. I looked back through their last few classes And it's actually not as good as you would think. They've had some very high profile, like basically their classes have been top heavy. They always have a hand, they've had a handful to a handful plus of these blue chip guys, you know, top 100, top 200 types of players who you expect to have big impacts. But their overall class rankings, they've actually only had one class inside the top 30 nationally in Mike Loxley's tenure. That was 2021. And they've already lost the three best prospects from a very top-heavy class. That would be, we mentioned all of them, Terrence Lewis and Brian Jennings, the linebackers, and Damian Robinson, the defensive end. Those guys are all gone already going into what would have been year two for them. Uh, That means, though, that in terms of this year's class, it's a good thing that your crown duel is once again a linebacker, Sean Barham. He early enrolled, and he's a near sure thing to play, even though they have a couple of returning starters who weren't terrible. You figure he's likely to see the field sooner rather than later. Other guys that you could see right away, I mean, in terms of their blue chip players, there's another wide receiver, Shalik Knotts. That's the one group on the field where their depth is great. They don't really need him. They could afford to redshirt him, but he's probably not the kind of prospect that you get to commit with the idea being that, yeah, you're definitely not playing. They'll work him in at least a little bit. Maybe they can keep the red shirt on and maybe not. Another guy you might see would be Ramon Brown running back. Again, that's a group where you've got a former walk-on and then Colby McDonald, who was decent, but you know not exactly outstanding. Maybe he gets a chance right away. We talked about a couple of the transfers. Um, Cohen in the linebacker group could play the guy who's a surefire starter would be Chad Ryland, the kicker from Eastern Michigan who transfers in as uh, Joseph Petrino moved on after a pretty decent career. They did also take a transfer quarterback from Wake Forest, Billy Edwards, who hasn't played because he redshirted last year. So he figures to be probably their new backup and maybe the successor for Tungle Bialoa. We'll see how that goes. Ideally, Maryland won't see him this year. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up that thing about recruiting because it sounds a lot like what Mike Loxley and, and uh, of course, his man Ron Zook did at Illinois. <laughs> yeah. Go the on, only difference on. being that in their third year at Maryland, there was no you know, really solid foundation of, uh, of, of battle-tested veterans here to lead them to the Rose Bowl. They instead got the pinstripe bowl. And, uh, yeah, the, it's... The, the, the recruit they, they were able to get the recruits that grabbed a lot of attention, but that's what I always found was true about those later runs up teams is, well, there's some really great talent in some of these positions. And there's also some huge holes in other spots. Like the thing that we had was we had to have our safeties were converted receivers because we just didn't land any safeties at all. <laughs> 
And sometimes that can work. Uh, for the most part, though, you are going to want to recruit guys who you think naturally play to that position. Anyway, so to close the loop here on their schedule, we'll, we'll kind of finish up with expectations. That early trip to Michigan is going to be a litmus test on whether this program is going to take another step forward or if we might have seen them kind of bump up against their realistic ceiling last year. I'm not saying they have to win that game, but if they're in a game in the fourth quarter at Michigan, even to Michigan that I think is going to take a pretty substantial step back last year, especially on defense, uh, if they give that Michigan team a game on the road, that should tell you that they're, they really are a little bit more stable in kind of this middle of the pack uh, avoiding the division basement thing that you would hope for. And then you got to figure out a way to keep more of the talent that you're recruiting on campus to elevate your actual program talent level. I mean, it's one thing to get these kids to sign on signing day, but if they don't play more than a couple of games worth of snaps for you, then what's the point? Yeah. I mean, that's always the, I mean, at the very least, what we don't have is uh a lot of arrest reports to go along with it. True. Yeah, that has not been a thing. I don't uh, know if that makes it better or worse from the standpoint of how sustainable is this program, though. <laughs> I mean, it's obviously better for the campus. Yes, yeah, I, that that there are fewer crimes being committed is, I think, a good thing. I think that's probably how I'm going to have to land on that one. But uh, and as to whether it speaks to more durability in the program, I don't think that we can necessarily say. Um, speaking of durability in the program or a lack thereof, I still there sooner or later, if it hasn't happened already, and if it happens already, nobody would know because nobody cares about Maryland athletics. But someone is eventually going to write a very well-researched, well-sourced long form about how Mark Turgeon went from winning the Big Ten to quitting his job six games into a season in the space of like 18 months on the calendar. And despite my deep interest in college hoops and the Big Ten, I'm probably not going to read that because whatever the actual story, the complete story, the nuanced story is there, I much prefer the version where our Maryland writers cyber-bullied Mark Turgeon into quitting. That's the version of that story that I like. Yeah, I mean, it is... I guess the follow-up remains to be seen, but, you know, it, it does have echoes of Clay Travis cyberbullying the University of Tennessee into hiring a worse football coach than Greg Schiano. <laughs> uh, I keep forgetting that happened. Um, I will, so there's one condition under which I will read that long form, and that would be on the condition that it tries to shoehorn Mark Turgeon onto the list of great coaches who have hung it up in the last couple of years because they're just fed up with the portal. Like try to try to put him on a list with Roy Williams and coach K and Jay Wright, all walking away from the game around this period of time. And you shall have my click because I will laugh hysterically. Uh, please somebody make that happen. I do not have the courage because I'm barely online as it is. And I do not want to draw attention to myself, which is probably why our podcast still does the numbers that it does. Although I think our quality has improved, to be honest. Also, the basketball season, Maryland basketball. Uh, you want to know about that? It was bad. What did you think would happen? Their, their coach quit less than a month into the season. There were occasional highlights that reminded you that Maryland still had some really good players on the roster. But they honestly felt kind of like the random number generator coming up boxcars, right? Uh, it was really just... It, again the reminder that that they have good players like there's there should be a floor with this program of at least being in the middle of the pack in a conference uh, but the extent to which mark turgeon just gave up on recruiting high school talent the last couple seasons in this job is like mind-boggling i understand that players now are not what they were even five years ago let alone 10 or 20 when a lot of these coaches first started as head coaches but man, you gotta adjust with the times a little bit. Um, that being said, what do they that, say come March? Survive and advance. It's, right. <laughs> it's no less true as recruiting evolves. Survive and advance. And you know the thing is, if you're not able to do that, if if you have to rely on a coaching style where you are the dictator and players didn't used to have the choice to do anything but what you said, it, the sport will eventually be better without you. 
and I realized perfectly well that that label may very well apply to the coach of my school, but we'll get to that when we get to it. So again, you, you had a few highlights in there, the random comical beatdown of Illinois. As always, our annual tradition. A late season win over Ohio State. Um, they got a non-conference win over Florida that looked better at the time than it ended up being. But mostly this was a really disorganized team that was playing out the string for an interim coach and Danny Manning who had no chance at keeping the job. They There were a lot of rumors. I mean, I remember when... Turgeon first left the first big name that I heard was that Bruce Pearl might be the guy they would go after oh I wish they had done it if you want to find a way to make Maryland relevant again interesting again a villain in the Big Ten basket in Big Ten basketball finally other than just the imagined petty swipings of some team you don't like like yeah that would have been man it would have been good it would have been good but well they would have shot up to number one on my shit list Oh, I for mean, sure. Well, yes. look, you, you would have activated a suddenly extremely online fan base. Like they, they would have turned all of, I mean, because obviously a lot of their fire was directed at Michigan last year. Yeah. So take all of that, direct, you know, any of the strays that are still hitting Iowa and Indiana for whatever reason, uh, and direct them in Maryland's direction. I keep saying direct, but still, it would lead directly to. Um, just like an unbelievable level of beef. Um, yeah. So instead of going the high profile road, they make kind of a more established program builder hire and Kevin Willard built a very solid program at Seton hall. Uh, even just in the last week or two, he's made some very solid roster building progress. Um, they took a a total flyer of a prospect for this class. It's true in, uh, Calum Swanton Roger out of Canada. It's a six foot 10 power forward unranked total rando, but he's played on some pretty good team, or I think he's played with a program that has put out a lot of the better Canadian players recently. And it also signifies an approach of, I'm not going to leave scholarships empty, at least at the beginning here. I need to grab as many guys as I can and just find stuff that sticks that's probably an approach that Maryland fans can get behind. Mark Turgeon, again, notoriously did not use up all his scholarships for years on end. Uh, also getting a commitment from St. Francis, Brooklyn transfer wing, Patrick Emilian, a pretty solid player there. And they got their first commit in 2023 with Jonathan Lamoth, uh, a four-star guard just outside of the top 100. Well, number 124. So he's out of the top 100 a little bit, but still a four-star. Well, you brought up uh... – Swanton Roger, but it certainly sounded like you said Swanton Roger, which made me just think of a of a guy who all he can do is block stuff. Yeah, Swanton Roger, get him out there. Well, I mean, he's six foot ten, playing power forward. You would hope he's going to give you a little bit of defensive range. I kind of stumbled to get it all out at once because he has one thing: it's the hyphenated last name, and second, his first name has a bunch of vowels in it. They're in kind of an unusual order, so I stumbled a little bit there. Looks very Roman. But the thing about blocks is that I've come to realize that, man, they suck. Like, they are really, really cool, and they are fundamentally not really that good unless you actually grab the ball. Yeah, you're you're almost better off um, just contesting the shot and making it really difficult so that it's more of a normal rebound that the defense is going to have a better chance of getting than... Rebounds are infinitely more useful and infinitely less cool looking. And infinitely less cool because no, when you rebound, all you can really say is "give me that shit" instead of "get that shit out of here." So you know, there's a there's a degree of difference there. Um, other transfer work for this season, though, uh, Eric Ayala is finally out of eligibility at the point. That's a big loss. So Willard has brought in two point guards to address that. Jameer Young from Charlotte is probably going to be the starter, the guy who gets the bulk of the minutes, the guy that you'll know. Uh, they also bring in Donald Carey from Georgetown apparently going to do that in a trade though because Kadus Wahab is transferring out and going back to Georgetown at this point is Patrick Ewing still their coach I'm pretty I sure mean, he is I gotta find out I should have checked that before I gotta um, let's do some research Patrick Ewing Georgetown question mark yeah he is still the head coach uh, but that being said, the fact that he's there uh, is only because he's a much beloved um, former alumnus or alumnus because it's been a disaster. Um, I'll tell you how it's going. I Googled this and it took me to the Wikipedia article. Did you happen to see this? 
Look this uh, up. Look at the picture they're using for him. He's <laughs> he's <laughs> wearing a headset, not looking at the camera, looking quite befuddled. Yeah. Well, and then the it other kind thing. of looks like that was an editorial choice on behalf of whoever was editing this Wikipedia article last. Yes. Well, and then I scroll down to the article results, and the first two. Uh, there's a one from si.com georgetown released a statement in support of patrick ewing that's from march of this year uh, and then six days later in the washington post georgetown's patrick ewing era needs to end so <laughs> that gives you an idea uh, of how the locals feel about his tenure there i believe overall they're like 15 games under 500 at what used to be a perennial tournament team um, with again a much beloved program cornerstone uh at the helm so caduce Wahab opted to go back to that instead of stay at maryland we've got the transfers that we mentioned not a whole lot in the way of impact freshmen coming in as you would guess they do have a few carryovers um, dante scott is a guy who i think they should have featured more in the turgeon era i don't know what like you'd see games where he's their offensive focal point scores 25 points and it's like okay why not <laughs> give him this many touches every time um, Julian Reese had a couple decent moments as a freshman and then they still have Hakeem Hart on the wing. They should be okay at the point with the transfers they brought in. This is going to be a build year, no doubt. Um, once again, probably going to get muscled over by any physically capable front court, but it does have to be said, there's going to be a lot less of those in the big 10 this year. It's really Edie and Dickinson are the proven big men in this conference. Then after that, there's a considerable drop-off. I mean, Chris Murray is kind of a different style of player. So it's probably going to be a tough year for Maryland on the court, but some early promising signs. I mean, Kevin Willard took a few years to get things rolling at Seton Hall, but once he did, they were a consistent tournament team. Now, what kind of ceiling they have, that kind of remains to be seen. But he should at least elevate the floor. I, who knows if he'll ever win a Big Ten the way that Turgeon actually did, I'll remind you. But I think you can at least count on to show up and do the job, which is not something that can be said about his predecessor. Yeah, I I just, I have a footnote to add. Um, Patrick Ewing apparently had a cameo as the Angel of Death in The Exorcist Three. Go Hoyas. Uh, I mean, hey, look, we got to say whatever we can to get Maryland people to listen to this since we couldn't get them to contribute to this. Uh, so just, I guess, look at Patrick Ewing's Wikipedia article because every single, they, they show several pictures of him coaching Georgetown. And in every picture, he looks miserable. He looks as though he's being cyberbullied into retiring by his own mind, online fans. Keep in mind, this is a man whose previous coaching experience was as an assistant for the Orlando Magic. Your source for big gun talk. It's off tackle. 